good morning or good afternoon or good evening to whenever you're listening to this. This is the second installment of the RUF at USF podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Newman, and I'm with Kelly Jackson, who is at CU um, as the campus minister. And it's kind of our purpose statement almost of, on this podcast that we want to talk about important things, candor and brevity. So we want to be, we want to be as honest as we can be, but we also want it to be brief because uh, we could talk about these things for days or hours, but we're going to try to do them in 20-minute installments. And what we're covering this semester is the Apostles' Creed, which is to believe is believed to have been written around the year 200. So second, third century covers the basics of the faith. And like we talked about last week, it's almost like a roadmap for the Christian faith, where it's not the actual thing, right? It's not scripture. We don't hold it as scripture, but it does help us kind of direct us through the the maze at times of scripture. So glad you're with us listening and uh, maybe watching um, as we may upload this on YouTube if you do want to watch in person or if you want to watch this and see some video. But Kelly, you got anything to say? You want to introduce yourself again? Yeah, Kelly Jackson. uh, Glad to be here. Good friend of Andrew Newman's. And um, we think that this is a, a great kind of summary of the Bible, the Apostles' Creed. So Hopefully uh, you enjoy walking through it with us and let's do this thing. So, uh, um, so last week, just by way of reminder, we spoke about the whole idea behind the creed and the idea behind belief, why it's important, um, how we come to the things we believe, and the role that faith or belief plays in the Christian life. And we're just going to pick up where we left off in the wording of the creed. So it begins saying, I believe is is kind of why we started with that last week. But what we're covering this week is really the first line about God the Father. And I'll just read it out here. says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so really, we're going to try to break it down into three things. First, we'll speak briefly and candidly about God the Father, so the fatherhood of God. Then we're going to pick up on that adjective um, almighty. What does it mean that God is almighty? And then finally, um, with the language of him being God, um, who is maker of heaven and earth, we'll touch on that. So first, let's begin with the fatherhood of God. So, um, Kelly, maybe you could just start us off by telling, saying a little bit about what does it mean that, you know, we believe, well, first, let me state or say that we are Trinitarians, so we believe that there are three persons in the Godhead, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, now, what does it mean, maybe within the relationship of the three persons of the Godhead, what does it mean that God um, is? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as I prepared for this, uh, a great book that I'm reading is called The Apostles' Creed by Al Mohler. And he makes a great point that like at the very beginning, uh, when we hear that God is Father and and that's taken right out of Scripture, uh, at the very least, that means that God is relational. Like God is knowable. He makes himself knowable. Um, And we learn later on that, and the creed covers this, but that God is father and son and Holy spirit. And, you know, we'll talk about, I believe in the son, I believe in the spirit, but 
you know, just from the get go, uh, you and I both being dads, the Bible clearly communicates and, and this creed summarizes that God is this knowable relational God. Um, and that's hugely encouraging to me. And if, if God is eternally a father, what does that mean that we're, be, we're made in the image of God? What, what kind of implication does that have for us as his creatures? Oh yeah, totally dude. I think that's a great question. I mean, if we are made in his image after his likeness, uh, like Genesis talks about, then we're going to be a relational creation. So we're going to be made for relationship. And if God is the creator, uh, the sustainer, as we'll talk more about in just a minute, uh, it's going to make sense that we as his beings and he as the creator are going to have a relationship with each other. Now, I remember when I was in high school um, in weight training class, this was somebody's favorite song and we listened to it on repeats. I heard it all the time. And this would have been around the year 2002, 2003. There's a song by a rapper artist named Trick Daddy. Um, and the song was called Thug Holiday. And I remember this line for whatever reason kept coming up. He would, he said, he says this Jews, Muslims, Christians, Christians, you, you know, we all got children. Now, that that doesn't seem to be what the Bible teaches. So um, first, this would be maybe considered the universal fatherhood of God. No matter any human being, you are considered a child of God, no matter your faith, religion, creed. Um, what would be, Kelly, what would be uh, maybe an error of that? Well, why, why does the Bible not teach that? Yeah, I mean, I think that Trick Daddy quote is really getting at, like, God is the source. He's the creator. Whether you're a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian, you're a human made in the image of God, and he's the creator. So it's like, yeah, he's the one we, we all came from. Uh, but I think you mentioned adop adoption. You touched on it. But that, like, that is the way that you and I, as his uh, created image of God, image bearers, uh, actually come to be in a relationship with him. And um, I'd love to talk a little bit about like how a man or a woman, you know, pick your brain uh, actually does come into relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, and yeah, that would be coming from the doctrine of adoption where, um, and actually an interesting note, um, and I, I, this is not, from my own research is just I've heard this kind of in passing from another pastor, but the Westminster Standards, which would be the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism, is one of the only creeds or confessions from that time period to actually state the doctrine of adoption, which is and if you look at if you look at the extra document, um, the shorter catechism on this, it says that adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And so this is something that is not, um, we, we come into the family of God as children of God, as sons and daughters, not by human will or pedigree or any other, um, you know, human uh, way, but it is something that is of God. And so um, we aren't born children of God in that sense. Um, but we become children of God um, when we are born again, as Jesus speaks of in uh, the first couple of chapters of John. Um, we have, even have this quote laid out here in John 1, 12, 12 and 13 says, To all who did receive him, that is Jesus, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that is, that's what I'm talking about. That this is not something that we can um, achieve on our own. Really, it's at the heart of the gospel that it's a gift of God's grace. It's not of man, like the scripture says, or of the flesh or of blood even, but it's of God. It has to be um, wrought by God or done by God. And so this kind of goes against this universal fatherhood of God where not everybody is inherently a child of God because they're born, mm. but kind of what you, what you were saying, Kelly, there maybe we, we're all creatures just as um, animals are creatures of God, but there is a special relationship of a child of God for those who are born again by the spirit um, and made um, God's child or children. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, um, yeah, if I add, like, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, uh, in a, another podcast, but I mean, Jesus pre existed humanity and the father son relationship that has existed from all eternity is part of what, you know, it somehow. God has always been father. God has always been son. God has always been spirit. Like you were referring to the Trinity a minute ago. And it is in Jesus, you know, as we have union with him that Paul talks about all throughout books like Galatians and Ephesians. uh, It is in Christ that we then are adopted into this family where there's always been a father and son, right? Mm -hmm. How there are other sons and other daughters. Uh, So yeah, it's beautiful. And I love that uh, the Westminster standards highlight that. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, you know, the, it also shows as, as you study things like adoption and justification, sanctification, these aren't meant to be just, um, just like a, just like a human adoption. It's not meant to be just a legal statement, but there's a, there's a profound organic relationship to that um, rather than it just being, something on the paper or something contractual. Um, it's, it's at the heart relational. Um, and this goes back to God as father um, from eternity past. Yeah. Okay, and if I yeah. add a personal note, like it's because of the cosmic spiritual adoption that my wife and I enjoy with God, the father that we were then, I don't know, empowered, encouraged, excited to actually demonstrate in our family adopting a, a bio or a, a child who was not biologically ours. Uh, we were just so moved by this doctrine of spiritual adoption. And so our daughter Annalise was not born to us, but it's just so beautiful to me, you know, as you adopt and finalize your adoption with a child, it is like they have been yours that they were born and uh it's just been a beautiful thing to see her become a part of our family and her older siblings loving her and i think it's going to fill out my doctrine of adoption more and more as she grows and as uh we grow as her parents yeah yeah and it's it's man that's such a cool um story to kind of what y'all have done and and also i think like it's um I think it's it's encouraging because I know that y'all don't look at her as like a second class citizen in your family. Yeah. And I think we can maybe 
maybe people who have been adopted, um, maybe they have some um, worse experiences from adoption, but that's one of the beauties of this doctrine um, of adoption in that we are seen as co-heirs with Christ. So yeah. God, God loves us as he loves his son. Um, and so we are not on our own merit, but on Christ's merit, we are, um, we are co-heirs with Christ. And it's kind of this beautiful picture of not becoming, not like, man, we, we barely got in as adopted, but it's really this beautiful picture of God's love for us and love for Jesus. Um, okay. Good stuff. Uh, um, okay. So the second, the second thing we want to talk about is this adjective that comes right after God, the father, which it says in the creed, um, God, the father, almighty, almighty, almighty. Um, almighty. And, um, this is really a, a speaking to God's complete power. Um, you know, this is it's not necessarily a word we use in regular language, but um, it's a very profound theological word. And so one way that Kelly and I were going to talk about this is first, what does it mean that God is almighty? Um, how would we define that? How would we um, speak of God as the almighty one? Is there some things we can maybe add to it or kind of help flesh it out to give us better understanding. And the second thing is um, what, what implications does this have for us? If God, and remember we're, we're, we're going now, you know, we're one, one cool thing about the creed is that we have begun to lay a foundation. So we're progressing. in as we talk about this, so we're not going from, okay, God, the father, that was interesting. Okay. Now God, all the mighty is a separate thing, but we're, we're talking about God, the father who is almighty. Okay, so what? It, so the implications for us are going to, be, going to be profound because in Christ we are children of this God who is Almighty. Um, so first, Kelly, what like what are some ways that you maybe could speak about God being Almighty? What would you say to that? What is how would you define that? I would again like to plug this book by Al Mohler, The Apostles' Creed. If I could read this quote, Andrew, I feel like it starts to answer the question. Maybe we can tease it out. So Moeller says, in the Apostles' Creed, the word almighty is a collective that is meant to represent all God's attributes, the fullness of God's perfections, all God's attributes, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, self-existence, and immutability are summed up in this one word, almighty. Only the God who possesses the fullness of perfection and infinite majesty can truly be almighty and sovereign over creation. So the words that really jump out at me, I love omnipotence omniscience, omnipresence, self-existence, and immutability. Uh, just that, he, like it says, almighty. Like he is the biggest, he is the, the greatest, he is outside of uh, time and space, but he also, you know, fills those things. Um, he knows all, uh, and he has the power that we'll talk about in just a minute to create and to sustain. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think this, um, this man, this is just so huge. And I, I obviously within Christendom or even within Christian historical Christianity, you, you have uh, different denominations and traditions that, that try to deal with this fact, um, try to deal with, um, this, uh, doctrine of another way we could say state it is this doctrine of sovereignty. Um, that God is all powerful, all knowing. Um, he is everywhere. Uh, he sees all things. 
um, just all these, he's immutable and that he's unchangeable. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, all the, what's that? All the omnis. All the omnis, the omni of alls. So, um, so this is really, and this is a, um, to our specific tradition, um, Kelly and I being in the Presbyterian church in America, this I would say is the defining characteristic of Calvinism or, or Presbyterian yeah. and reformed theology in that, we see God's sovereignty at play in every other doctrine, right? So for, the, for example, we just spoke of the doctrine of adoption. We believe that God has chosen a people for himself from eternity past. So he is sovereign even in that it's not up to man, but it's up to God. Um, and so this is really, in some, I know in my own way, in my own experience, as well as relationships with others, that this can be, at first, a, a hard pill to swallow that God is actually in control and we aren't. Um, but I think, as we'll hear talk in a second, um, there are very um, great and, and um, even joyful implications for our own lives. Um, and so maybe off the top of your head, Kelly, what would you say are some of those initial implications to live, um, you know, kind of before the face of God, who is before the face of a God who is sovereign, who is, um, you know, as you listed all those omnis. What, yeah. what does that mean for us? I mean, I'll just confess. Uh, I don't know that I talked about it in the last episode, but I'm a, I struggle with anxiety. I'm an anxious person. And to hear this idea that God is sovereign and that he is almighty really brings me a lot of comfort, you know, because, mm a lot of my anxiety has to do with unknown things that I want control over. Uh, and I always think of this hymn uh, that I think Matthew Smith has popularized. His love can never fail. Not sure the original hymn writer, but he says, I may not know the way I go, but Oh, I know my guide. And it, that just brings me tons of comfort. Like it humbles mm -hmm. me of course, but it's just like, man, God's got it. He is almighty. He is sovereign. Yeah. Uh, and he knows all and, and he loves me because I've been adopted and I can rest in that. Um, yeah. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is um, when I, when I first became a Christian, um, I, I kind of, I think I struggled with um, as, as maybe some of y'all listening um, have struggled. I, and I, you know, to, to echo Kelly, I struggled with a lot of anxiety as well. Um, but when I first became a Christian, I tended to navel gaze a lot in that I was, I, I thought of myself and, the, and becoming a Christian as have I, have I done enough? Have I said the right prayer? Have I said the sinner's prayer enough? Has I, do I need to walk the aisle? You know, there's a little bit of a focus on your own decision, your own ability to become a Christian. And as I look back over, I became a Christian probably over 12 years now, uh, it was 12 years ago. And I look back and I just realized God's sovereign hand, um, working out every little detail of my conversion experience. And like Kelly said, it brings me a lot of comfort knowing that the God who is my father, who loves me, is also the one orchestrating every detail of my life. Kelly, what is God's okay. providence? Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to uh, what you said about the right of the creator. Like God, God has a plan. He has a purpose. And it's within his rights as the creator to unfold those purposes. Um, 
or his will, as we oftentimes uh, will talk about it, to, you know, all the, the, the people and the things uh, that ultimately point back to him uh, worked perfectly before the fall and unfolded in the way that they were supposed to. But now, you know, things are broken because uh, we chose a lie and we, we turned from God. But yeah, providence and this idea of God's will uh, is the order that God kind of set up the way for things to work. Um, and, you know, not to show all our cards, but we oftentimes talk about uh, creation uh, and then fall and restoration and, and, and redemption. We're in that kind of reordering uh, or putting back together after we toppled things over. Uh, and even, you know, even in that, uh, God is outside of it and he's in control of it. Uh, so when you and I struggle in our anxiety, God's will, uh, God's works of providence are all working, uh, in the way that he wants them to. Yeah. So there's so much, man, we can act this, like you said, for, for forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one, one helpful thing that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, um, like in, in the history of the church and the history of theology, there's all kinds of um wrong thinking and if you if you study that stuff at all you'll see um names for it and one of the famous ones is deism um and we think maybe and this is i believe this would be this would be kind of into the 17th 18th century is when it started and it pretty much is, state, is saying that um it's it's like almost like the clockwork theology of god that he created the clock kind of spun it up and then stepped back and he just watched, he watches it go, but he doesn't, he doesn't interact anymore with the clock. He just lets it turn. Um, and we may think if you study that kind of stuff, you may think, okay, well, that was an interesting thing that the church dealt with back in the 18th century. But we, I mean, this, this stuff is still at work in our, in kind of the zeitgeist of our day. And, and one famous way I think it's at play is what's called moral therapeutic deism, which is just that we, um that would kind of say what god wants for us and i'm i'm maybe doing it a disservice but, but I, one thing that god wants for us is to just be happy people to be good people and so we go to god only when we need kind of a therapist um yeah, and so yeah. yeah and he's and so he's kind of there off afar um and we can kind of check in with him when we want in fact one of the one of the books I first read um, when I was coming to Christian, kind of struggling with some of this stuff. It's a non-Christian book and it kind of picks up, I think, some of this idea and it gets to the all power, all powerfulness of God. Um, and it kind of is an error, but it's it, by this rabbi, um, I think his last name is Kushner. And he, he says, or the, the title of the book explains it enough where it says, um, when bad things happen to good people. And so his whole premise is, yeah, we live in a world with hurricanes and tornadoes, natural disasters, cancer and death and illness. And there's just these bad things and these evil things in, in life. But you know what? Kind of swallow it up. It's okay. Um, God is not all powerful. He didn't intend these things to happen. Um, they just kind of exist. And so he, he kind of takes the stance that God is not all powerful. And really, when I read that, I think one of the interesting things for me was that um, 
it was, it, I think it's written for people to bring them comfort, but it brought me great discomfort knowing that, man, there's a, so you're telling me that um, there's a God who's not all powerful, who actually doesn't deal with human beings on a daily basis. And that is one of the beautiful things I think about the doctrine of providence is that God orchestrates all things. Um, and remember, we're going back in this, at least this, um, our little discussion here, we're going back to starting with God, the father, this is coming from a relational God who, um, loves his people through Christ and orchestrates all that, all, all the things that come to pass, he orchestrates for their good. Um, one of the great examples of this is in the end of the book of Genesis in the old Testament with Joseph, as he, um, you know, all this stuff has happened to him. His brothers have tried to kill him. Um, he's come to Egypt and he's been jailed. He's been all this, all this kind of stuff happened to him. And at the very end, um, he kind of gets reunited with his brothers and his brothers, um, see all this stuff and they, they begin to apologize. And what Joseph says is beautiful is when he says, um, even though you intended it for evil, God meant it for good. And so that is, you know, that is the story of our lives as Christians. We may go through much yeah. suffering and evil, but God is ultimately turning it all for our good. And that's um, God's providence at work. I think we've spent a good amount of time unpacking this. Hopefully we started some discussions out there. Um, as always, feel free to, um shoot us some questions either you know text your quad leader or you can text me directly all right guys thank you all for listening and we will see y'all next week bye